Hello, and welcome to the Novi Conversation. I'm Steve Waltz. And I'm Jeff Pergelski. And Jeff, today we have an Inovia employee. One I've been waiting for uh, to have on a podcast for a while, but we had to we had to make sure though that she you know put her time in first before we invited her on the podcast. So uh, we have Andrea Rivietzo. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> and uh, I won't I won't tell everybody that Jeff had me pronounce the name versus him, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just between us. Anyway, Andrea, we're, we're excited to have you on here. And, I'm, and uh, you know, we, we met a long time ago, uh, I think, at a uh, at a, maybe a NAVUG summit meeting. I'm trying to think where we, when we met about, what, four or five years ago. Definitely. It was probably a 2016, 2017 timeframe at the user groups. Nice. You were past president of the of the user group, right? Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about uh, your, your, uh, yourself and your journey to Anovia. Definitely. So I started my career out as a controller. Well, first, I, of course, you have to work up to be a controller. They just don't give you that title um, right out of college. But I used NAV there and got heavily involved with the user groups. Kind of came in fast and furious, won the All-Star Award, ran the Denver chapter. I still run the Denver chapter and um, really enjoyed going out, speaking at conferences and talking about NAV. Um, apparently, it's my corn, right? I just... Absolutely love it and um, kind of went into the IT at a um, CPG company. So we sold into CPG firms a product and was their IT manager, oversaw nav team with developers. And we implemented everything you could absolutely think of implementing. And then after that, I was like, you know, it might be time to join the partner side. And what better company than Anovia? So that led me here. I'm very excited to be here and working on everybody's accounts and seeing new and exciting things. Well, we're glad to have you. And, uh, you know, I think of uh, of your background. So you went to school to be an accountant, accounting, right? And now you got an IT. So now you do a little bit of everything. So it, exactly. Much, it's the best of both worlds. Well, it, it, it is, right? Because if you think of an ERP system, you know, when you're, you're probably dealing with a lot of financials and, and folks in the, the accounting department. And so that's you know, having that background there. So uh, maybe you can tell us what you would like to talk about on this podcast. We're just going to turn it over to you. I mean, if people haven't met Andrea before, (laughs) she's going to take it over anyway, Jeff. I just thought maybe I'd hand it over before she took it over. Yeah, just steamroll you guys completely. It is now the Andrea show. Thank you everyone for coming. I'm very happy to have myself today. Um, Yes. So today we're going to talk about maximizing your gains in the gym. We got creatine on the list. Oh, wait, wrong podcast, guys. Wrong podcast. Okay. Um, Though not to brag, but I am the 500 pound club, not in my weights, but in the weights that I lift up. So I do like to share that with everybody, um, but I can't wear green anymore. So it is, it is problematic as well. Once you get is into the game, you can't get out. Yeah. Yes. She Hulk. <laughs> All right. No, instead, I have made a top 10 list for you guys today, and I'm very excited. And if you're like, drumroll, it's about how maybe not to fail an implementation, either be ISV or um, BC projects. I've seen a lot of things, um, even in my own experience, of things that have gone very well for me and things that have gone very badly for me when I was a user. And even now, looking at other customers that I'm helping out, 
some of them up and running immediately and others the long the long drip and that's what you don't want that right so how can we avoid that so is this kind of coming from being a user and dealing with partners on the user side and now being on the partner side kind of seeing both sides of it yes definitely i i think when i was the end user my expectations were different higher um than they are probably now of like what you should realistically expect um from these projects and then also just seeing as a user there was probably things i could have done that helped this project along instead of i don't know almost say dragging the feeds and even just working internal IT, you see a lot of these things too, and it's just kind of painful. Um, and there's a lot that a user can do, um, like somebody implementing that could really change the outcome of your project. Cause there's only so much your partner can do um, for you. There, There's a huge gap that as an end user, you just have to do for yourself too and i know that sounds bad i'm basically saying users you have work to do but you do have work to do right like this is not just your partner trying to do something for you this is a a relationship yeah and i would say that um in in some of the calls that i'm on with andrew and for new you know new implementations especially you know we typically throw out the number of like three to one in terms of um in some cases i've heard four to one terms of the end user amount of time they have to spend um certainly not in as you know setups and stuff but in proper discovery and then proper testing um all of that takes a lot of time and um where we're um in our primary role delivering this um you our end users always have another job to do besides erp testing or troubleshooting etc right so it's even more difficult for them Definitely. Yep. Actually, that's one of my points, too. I will get to that. <laughs> I was like, just jumping ahead on my list. Uh, no, we got it. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. You haven't seen my list. It's been top secret. So <laughs> I could literally say anything right now, but no, it's uh, <laughs> with that, I'll jump in if you guys are ready. And that's why we have Tim on marketing. So he edits these things. So. <laughs> No, no, wait, no, it was a good, it was a good segment. <laughs> All right. So the first I'm going to say is basically having the right people in the right places. So you might have somebody that's like a really good worker, but if they're saying things like, hey, that's not my job, or I shouldn't Google this, it should just work, or I've always done it this way, they probably are actually going to be more of a hindrance to your project than a help to your project. I've never met somebody that said, but I always did it this way. Be the best person to actually install something or test something because they don't really want to do that. They have their job requirements and they're doing that job. And now you're asking them to do something else. And most of the time, it's just not going to go very well um, for you. So one of the things is definitely management needs to set clear communications, expectations, and end results. Um, Though, I'll caveat on end results. You got to be kind of realistic as well on what end results actually mean. Um, and like, when is something done? Not everything's going to be like 100% or 120%. So you got to kind of expect 
at least what is good enough for the company to call it good. Um, but you just want to make sure you don't have a people problem. And I would say in most situations, people problems are huge, right? There's a course, there is a, a nav user out of Fort Collins called ProSci. And ProSci, all they do is teach three-day courses on managing people for change management. And so I'm like, hey, if this is a whole business model, this is probably not something that's very inherent in most people to have change management skills. And so now if you have problematic people that, you know, they might be the best AP person you've ever worked with, but if they do not want this, and they're going to resist you on it, and they're saying things like, but I've already done it this way, then you're you're going to have a change management issue on your hand first out of the gate. And there's not much that anyone can do for you. Your partner's not going to be able to convince that AP person or whoever is saying this that, that there's this need for them. That is something only management can do for them. Yeah, change management can be a challenge, right? Because you know, I was kind of trained in that world, too, because every time you add another person to the group, you know, it's like going out to lunch with your family and you went from three people to seven people. Where do you guys want to go? <laughs> Good luck with that. Right. But, yeah, every time you add that, it just seems that, is, you know, I always use Sally as my example. Sally's been doing it for 20 years. Sally doesn't want to change. You know, it's going to happen. Right. It's that mindset where you think what you just kind of said earlier that it's it's it's. Can you get agreement from everybody in the group? No. Can you get consensus? Yes. That's what you're going for, right? This is what's best for this. And so that's that sounds like you something you deal with quite a bit. Yes, definitely. I see that often. When I was an end user, I saw it. Um, as like a manager of other employees, I saw it. As the IT manager, I definitely saw it. And now that I'm on the partner side, you can see it right like there is clear signs that somebody doesn't want to do this um and that is definitely going to be a huge problem especially if that person's responsible for something be a document gathering or uat if they're dragging their feet on it nothing's getting done not a change go to number two are we good? <laughs> yes, yes. All I was right. like, we are ready for Jeff is just hanging. He's like, number two, number, number two. Number two. <laughs> All right. So. Um, you want to be somewhat prepared. And I'm not saying that you need to do like everything before you even get on the phone with an application consultant like myself. But if you are going into a new environment, this is a great time to fix things, be it your costing methods, your chart of accounts, um, how you process customers. Like You're getting a clean slate if you're not doing an upgrade. So in your mind, you should already be thinking about what a new COA would look like. Because honestly, I'm not even going to start your project until you give me a COA. I'm not even going to open your box. Um, like the way There's a few things I can do without your COA. There's not a lot. So having a COA is super important. And I know there's sometimes like discovery calls that we're going to do with you. Um, and maybe during that discovery, we do know you're going to do a new COA or maybe you're not going to, though most of the time you need to redo your COAs. But you should already be thinking about what that looks like, what's important, what's not important. As an application consultant, I'm, I will also help you out with your COA. So if I see your COA coming in and you're missing key accounts that I know you're going to need because you're doing like expected costs, I'll help you out and add those accounts um, for you. 
But I've had projects delay probably about three months just because we did not have that chart of account on file. And there's just not much I can do if I don't have a chart of account. So I would say at least be somewhat prepared. And even like if you're doing integrations, you should know what that other system can even provide to you. Like what is the expected end result? So I see a lot of integration projects just nosedive. And most of them is because they didn't know what the other system could provide or how they could even provide that data. And then no real expectation of what that data is going to look like when it comes into Business Central or to NAV. And unfortunately, all of those, like you just have these reoccurring meetings over and over and over again about the data, but it doesn't work unless you know what that data is. And you should probably know upfront what that data is and what you need. Um, it limits dev time. It limits like just rehashing out silly little issues that maybe you could have already been prepared for. I think that was all for my number two. You guys have anything? <clears throat> we are, um, I think, first of all, uh, you haven't mentioned yet CRM, so Steve doesn't have any comment um, for you. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but that that all makes sense to me. The um, it, And I think that, um, that we are working on um, sort of, you know, doing a better job in the pre-sales process of preparing our customers for projects with help, obviously, from um, the delivery team um, with suggestions, because um, I think um, ultimately, I mean, customers um, have, but, you know, budget concern isn't number one, it's a successful implementation, but, but it's a close second. And if they can use our resources more efficiently by doing a little bit of prep work, like, absolutely, let's get them ready for it. Definitely. All right. So then the next one, um, really just allocate time for getting things to the partner. Um, make sure that the team that's in, like doing UAT has time for training and testing. Because honestly, if no one's around to test these things, you're not going live. If somebody can't produce like that chart of accounts or the customer list or something like that, you're just not going live. So you really need to know that, I mean, these people have real jobs. Their whole job isn't to implement this system or implement this ISV. So if you're not giving them the runway at all to give things to the partner or test things, it's just not going to happen. Um, so I, and I know oftentimes when you're doing these things, maybe you're doing them because that your time constraint, you know, that your person's overloaded. So you're giving them this ISV so they won't be overloaded or you're going into VC because it offers functionality that's really cool that could also save them time. But unfortunately in that interim, they're going to be overloaded. And most people don't want to work late. Most people don't want to like spend their weekend testing a new system or a new ISV. They just want to do their jobs and go home. So you, as a manager, especially as a manager, you have to make sure that if you're saying, hey, I need you to get all this stuff to them, that their plate isn't over full. Now, if their plates aren't over full, then maybe there's no excuse. But for the most part, I think most people have 40 hour jobs and they're not going to take on this extra 10 hours a week um, for, you know, up to 10 hours. Not all of them are 10 hour weeks for every employee or anything, but they're not going to take on this extra time um, out of their loving grace for the company. So really you want to make sure that you prioritize them correctly and that they have time to actually do the tasks that you're asking them to do. 
Steve, you are you are um, I'm officially assigning you the transition between points three and four. <laughs> so um ah, testing's overrated. Just plug yeah. it in, turn it on, let's see what happens, that's right? right. I mean, we uh, we test on go live. That's <laughs> that's how the sales team goes. You know when you know, when I speak the, with the plane can take off. You can duct tape the wing on later. Right. It's okay. <laughs> you know, and Andre, I get a lot of uh, discussions with folks that either had a bad implementation or, you know, they're they're looking to go from the old version to the new version. And when I kind of talk to some of the points that you said, they, they're kind of like, they're not used to those conversations because a lot of partners are like, Okay, you know, it's like I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this versus having that discussion up front explaining the process, right? You know, this, this, I, I would, it took me a couple of years to really understand how much work that the clients running the system really do. I had no idea. I mean, it's intense. And if they, you know, it, like you said, it needs to come from the top. And hey, you know, this is going to require time and like an internal project manager, right? And I mean, do, have you noticed when uh, a client has, if they have somebody that owns it that has more of a PM background, does it go differently versus somebody that's just kind of like, I mean, I'm granted, I'm, there's different size projects, <laughs> I like, right? I, okay, I don't want to go down so a rabbit I'll hole. I'll just be honest, I don't, PMs and I have a sorted history. Uh oh. Um, so <laughs> I've had internal PMs. It didn't go well. I will say, though, that I am a little bit of a rule breaker. Um, I like making statement. rules for other people to follow, <laughs> um, and they should not apply to me. Uh, so, but I will say from the client side, I've seen good and bad from the PMs. Sometimes, you know, it's like wrangling cats. So the PMs, especially internal PMs, because there's only so much an Anovia PM can do. They cannot wrangle your cats for you. They right. only are in charge of wrangling our cats, right? So your cats are free in the wild. You need somebody else on your side to wrangle those cats and be an actual PM or just a really strong leadership that can wrangle, that's okay too. Because I, I have a project where the CFO is an amazing cat wrangler and it is going very well on his side because he is wrangling those cats. I then have projects with a PM where, you know, the PM is is trying to almost do the functional work and that's not going to work out either. So if the PM is trying to understand API endpoint integrations, they're probably going to get caught up in some kind of detail that the PM doesn't need to get caught in. So the, the PM is on the customer side have to be kind of careful. Your job is to wrangle the cats, make sure people have the time and the resources they need to actually get the things done um, as opposed to the PM trying to actually be the one that implements the project. And I think that's where I also have the sort of history because uh, it used to be the PM was the one trying to implement. And I'm like, no, no, you're not implementing. You're just wrangling the cats. So I, I think that's where <laughs> I was like, that sounds bad. Uh, sorry, project managers of the world. I've had a few interesting ones. It's a tough. It's a tough job because you're dealing with people. Yes. And and no one likes to be told no, what to do. They like to know what to do, right? And but it just seems to go better when you have somebody has a plan and accountability. So I think kind of getting to the point to where, you know, small projects that requires you know 
not a whole lot of discussion or back and forth. But when you get into the larger complex ones, internally, you know, internally on both sides, right? Somebody needs to own it on the client side and wrangle the cats. As you said, I'm allergic to cats, but, but, uh, you know, to, to, to really just to make sure it gets done. So, so let's move, let's, let's go on to the, are we going on the fourth one now? I see Jeff's just still excited about the next point. I was like, I don't know. I'm exiting them off. So don't accidentally repeat it. All right. Uh, so this one probably sounds a little repetitive, but I promise it's not. Um, it's kind of understand your directive. Um, you should know what your current processes are um, for the most part. And if it works or not, that's kind of the big one. Um, but you have to be open to change. And I think that especially with the ISVs, you have to be open to change because it's not going to be the same. And that almost goes back to the, hey, well, my last job, that's not being open to change at all. Um, so with BC, especially if you're coming off a nav or you're coming off QuickBooks or something, there's going to be new functionalities, cool functionalities. If you are very stuck in your path, then you're not going to be able to take advantage of those. You're not going to be able to work smarter. Um, I don't, I'm typical millennial. We don't work harder. We work smarter. I would rather the system do most of my job. Uh, I rather try to automate what I can automate. I don't want to sit around and like, I don't know, do the same thing over and over again. If I can just like make it once and make it work the next time, I would rather do that. And a lot of people there's a lot of mentality that doesn't want to do that. They're like, these are the ways. This is the way I'm going to do it. There's no, there's nothing else. And I, I think that knowing what your way is is great, right? That's really going to help us out because um, otherwise we might try to set up something incomplete for you. And then later on you come back and you say, hey, well, that's not what I wanted at all. And so you should know that. That way we don't implement it incorrectly. But then on the flip side, just know that there might be a better way too, and that you might have to change your internal processes to accommodate the new system or accommodate the new ISV. And process change is one of the harder things to normally get through. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that just based on my experience with Steve. Um, process <laughs> change is very just difficult. Be, just because I'm the last of the baby boomers, I mean, I, I'm still thinking of what she said. What, what was the, what was the comment about millennials? Anyway, we'll go on from that one. <laughs> You're like, we're so, smarter, I mean, not harder. I don't. So uh, I don't want to reverse that. Right? I know I'm slow, but come on. All right. Anyway, uh, we're, let's go on to the next one. <laughs> All right. Um, so I actually ran into this recently. I was a little surprised by this. Um, all systems will have limitations, right? Like no system can promise you the moon. And um, it might be just the way that, you know, you're used to it making auto invoices or something. And, and this one doesn't. Um could we set up BC to literally do whatever you want? Probably, but you're going to spend a lot of money to get that. And so like I had somebody mad that it didn't automatically do something that like parent-child relationships wasn't what they expected, like how it reported out, out of the box. But they only had 10 customers. So I was like, I don't, I don't know how big of a deal this really is. You have 10 customers. So just know that they're going to have limitations, but also think about your ROI. Can you live without seeing this? Because um, obviously if there was systems that could do this, they're probably going to cost you a lot more money. Could this system do it? Sure, for more money. But um, just know, you know, 
it's, it's you got to call in your expectations a little bit that this is not going to change your life. I, I mean, sorry, salespeople, it, it's going to help. It's going to hopefully make things easier if you upgrade or install ISVs. And that is the goal. And that should be the case. But it's not going to do your job for you where people are like, accounting is going to magically happen now that I have BC and these three ISVs. It, that's just not how it's going to work out for you. And you also don't, shouldn't plan for things. If it happened one time, you probably don't need to throw that in as a mitigating factor. Um, if it happens daily, that's a mitigating factor. That's something that your partner should know so that they can plan against that. Amazing. All right. Well, I, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, sometimes I say that um, as I'm doing demos for um, uh, for prospects, uh, essentially what you know people want the the ultimate ERP system is is um, has a single button on the screen and it says make profit and then they just push it and um, but but Business Central has a few more steps in between that are required. So having uh, realistic expectations, I think about about those limitations is uh, is an important part of of understanding and I think it also kind of can bolster the, the the other points that you've already made about if you have realistic expectations, um, you, you know, we can look at process and, and all of those things start, you have a better understanding of it. Um, certainly the people um, who are actively engaged in the project and are open to change and, and you know, um, see the value in it for the overall company, not the, the people who are in the back of the room kind of grunting in, you know, um, because they don't really agree with what's going on. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think uh, actually, you know what? Um, Maybe we should subtitle this podcast "Realistic Expectations." That um, I mean, it's like in general, not this it. episode, but our entire our entire podcast should be uh, realist. Let's have realistic expectations. And, what do you think, and, Steve? and Andrea, what one of the things that stood out of what you said is is you said ROI. I mean, how many partners out there? I wanted to do this. Sure, okay, it'll cost X. And you just said you have ten customers. In your mind, you're like, why would you invest that kind of money, right? I remember Holly telling me a long time ago when, when Holly Kuehl came on board, Steve, Nav will do anything how much you want to spend, right? And and so it's easy to spend other people's money, but I think getting to where you're going is, those are conversations I think are helpful. But, you know, we have some some clients like, I want you to do this, do this. Perfect, gotcha. Some like to be challenged and or see the ROI, right? Yeah, we can. However, let's have this conversation. You know, and it's kind of kind of this theme has almost become like a change management type of theme too, right? On on um because it it just, you know, when you are transforming your business, like you talked earlier, you know, upgrade re-implementation, it's a chance to look at your processes. Sure, we can move it all forward. You can have the same old system that you had and now it's going to cost, you know, it's is it going to work the way you want it to? Yeah, probably not, maybe. But Let's start fresh. So it's kind of interesting how this is kind of developing into this. And and Microsoft has really adapted a a change management program internally there, too, which I I was told five years ago they're going to roll out to the partners, which they still haven't. But uh, but anyway, what number are we at now, Jeff? I think we're through the first five, aren't we? Uh, Yeah, I think we made it through five. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So speaking of that, too, I had a conversation with Microsoft And one of the things that they brought up was that they went to a client site and they had a lady moving a file from A to B, 
right? And that's her whole job. That is what she did for eight hours a day. And they said, you know, we could just automate that. And then the question back was, then what would she do all day long? And so I see this a lot too. Um, if you are doing something that could potentially replace somebody's job, then um, you're probably going to have a lot more resistance. Nobody's going to want to test something that they think is taking away their job. Um, they're not going to want to cooperate getting things if they think this is taking their job. AP automation is a great example of this. A lot of people, when they hear AP automation and you're in AP, what do you think is going to happen? They're automating my job. This is what I do all day. And I can say for sure that even if you have AP automation, you probably still need an AP person. I think AP automation just helps with like economics of scale where you can now bring on more invoices with less resources. Um, but if you have people working 40 plus hour weeks in AP already, AP automation will save them time and maybe they can do more in the AP realm or maybe help with more staff accounting work than just doing AP if you have this. But if you just kind of come up to them and say, hey, we're installing AP automation, I, I can tell you right now they're all going to fight you on it because they think this means they're losing their job. So that goes back to that communication that it, you're not losing your job. This is what you're going to be doing or this is how we see that this AP automation system is going to work for you. Um, or yes, I know that you are the person that moves file from A to B all day, but guess what? You don't have to do that anymore. Once we automate this, you're going to do this. Um, you're going to grow and expand your skill sets. Um, maybe maybe pay raises, maybe not, right? Um, just depending on, I guess, what type of movement that is and what skills you're giving to them. But if you're just kind of like, hey, we're going to give something that could potentially take away your job, you're going to get resistance immediately. Yep. I think I had um, a lot of those same conversations being in sales, um, talking about moving resources to the cloud, and you had the IT um, team at these um companies acting like gatekeepers because they were afraid that, uh, oh, what if I don't sit here and manage the exchange server all day, um, what am I going to do? And I always tried to frame it like there's much more strategic um, uses of your time for the organization than imagine being able to have some time to whatever it is, whatever your specialty is to research, to help the company know what's coming to, you know, to reach out into other areas. But uh, yeah, definitely um, a lot of resistance to uh, to taking things away that, that they sort of see as core to who they are at the company. Definitely. And I mean, sometimes it will. Like, honestly, if you do automate something, you know, and if you have a 20 AP people on staff and they're all working like 20 hours, you're probably overstaffed. And if you now throw in something that automates more of those hours, yes, it's probably going to take away jobs. Now, can you repurpose them? Maybe, maybe not. So there is a chance that, yes, automation can and will take jobs. But I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the images with the AI where it's like 95% chance this is a bear and it's a quilt. Right. Um, so AI is not going to take over all of your job. There won't be any point where you we're automating all of the accounting and everybody's jobs are up in flames. It's more like if you already feel like you're redundant and now we're automating it, you probably are redundant. Sort of like that was very harsh. That was very mean. I just came right out and said, I'm like, yeah, we're going to fire some people today. <laughs> Yeah. And and if you think about I and without getting Jeff 
over like side, like when CRM first came out, a lot of salespeople were like, oh, you know, or it, it is, well, there was 11 million jobs reported this week that are unfilled. So the automating process goes a long way if you can't find people. But you, when you talk about repurposing, you know, Jack Ma, who started, was at Alibaba. I remember he he said, you know, this was probably about three or four years ago, we're in the third or fourth inning of this digital transformation. He said, there's going to be people that tell the computers what to do and people are going to be told by the computers what to do. You don't want to be on the second side of that, right? The later <laughs> side, because it's, it's just the way it's going and, and, and it's, it, it's a chance to, you know, we need to be agile. I mean, word technology is going and what you, what the ERP system can do, you know, it's in, and those conversations are tough. It's not just in the, you know, accounting departments and a lot of different departments. So, all right, for time's sake, we're going to try to whip off the next three, the next whip five minutes. Okay, perfect. Um, so the next one is pretty simple. Basically, if there is a thing in your system already that can do what you're trying to do on your ISV, like let's say MRP, and it doesn't work at all for your base system, it's definitely not going to work with the ISV either. They normally plug into the same exact table. So I'm like talking stock keeping units, locations, stuff like that. If it's set up wrong in your uh, base system, it's probably set up wrong for that ISV as well. So you're going to have a lot of what I call the side quest, right? Mm -hmm. All right. And the next one's kind of big when you get to UAT. Be specific as what you are reporting. As much detail as you possibly can. Where were you? What screen? Screenshots of any errors that you saw? What did you expect when it actually did it? Um, you don't want us chasing our tail and spending your money to solve the wrong issue. Like I had somebody tell me they need a cert of origin to automatically print with a Canadian order. So immediately, what did I look for? Those two things. However, cert of origin, you don't need that for a Canadian order, you need the USMCA. So immediately I looked for the wrong thing. I, I found out later that he was missing both. Neither were printing, but he didn't report any of that to me. He just said, sort of origin isn't working with Canadian orders. And I was like, well, of course it doesn't. But five billable hours later, we found out the actual error. And this is even true if you're talking to customer support, be it internal or external to your customer, um, like to your partner. If you're submitting a ticket to an internal team that's IT support or external, Give them as much detail as possible. Even if you feel like this is overkill, shouldn't they know this? They might not. Just report it to them. They That will save you so much time and money. Mm -hmm. All right. We like to save time <laughs> and like, money, right? Yeah, save time and money. I don't want to spend your money on silly things. It makes me feel bad, too. I'm like, oh, just spent five hours on the wrong, wrong issue. And that sucks. So remember, don't, you don't want to be that. I remember at a customer conference we did in the Dells, we actually had a, a class where the support people taught them how to write a, a, a good support ticket. It was standard room only. And it was, you know, what you kind of said, like, oh, it, my my system won't post. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so there's some back and forth, you know, what, what what's not posting, right? Well, my, you know, so screenshots. All these different things you can add to it, right? Like, you know, the journal, whatever it is, the more detail you can give and examples, the more money you're going to save, right? Is that where exactly. kind of you're, you're kind of going? Yep, exactly. Um, sample ID numbers. Like I was on this sales order. This is one that didn't work. 
this is what I was doing when it didn't work. Um, that way I know where the starting point. Otherwise, I will start at the point where I think you're trying to do. We're just going to have a lot of back and forth conversations. So that that is a big one. That's UAT. That's any support. Uh, be very clear. Do not... If it feels like a waste of your time, you're like, why do I have to be so clear? I will tell you, you will waste way more time by not being clear. All right. I got just two more. Two more, guys. These are, they'll be fast. I'll be fast. All right. So um, normally I will say if your partner is recommending an ISV to you, there is probably a reason either the person on your project knows how to install this. They have somebody else that knows how to install it. If you go to a conference and you get sweet talked into buying some ISV, your partner does not recommend, you might be in trouble, right? So I have one customer on one ISV that no one has ever worked with before. Um, and it has been very problematic. And it's like, could I learn the ISV? Definitely. Um, but do you really want to pay me to learn? And I will tell you when I was on the end user side, I always said, well, I'm not going to pay you to learn something if you don't know it, right? Like that's not my dime. But if you're going to select something that your partner just does not know, then unfortunately somebody, that cost has to come out of somewhere. Um, if, I, if this is the one time and only time I'm ever going to see this ISV, then it is on your dime to have me learn this for you. And I, I know that's like maybe a harsh truth right there, but um, if it's something that I should know because, you know, I've, I have 50 customers on this, I like it's our recommend ISV, then that's on me if I don't understand how to set it up. But it is on you if you pick something that is outside of the scope of your partner's recommendations. Yep, I think that okay. uh, that makes sense. There's, um, you know, it's difficult for us um, as partners because we can't be familiar with with everything. But I think understanding that in the rare case that the customer comes to us with something that we're not familiar with, just understanding the risk that that adds to um, any implementation. Like if we recommend ISV A and they come to us with B, um, you know, we're honestly we're going to do a better job of implementing a um, is the function uh, functional differences like does the end user even understand those um, and, uh, and and I think that's a that's a fair point to bring up. It might seem harsh, but it is reality. So let's 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 be real or um, or what is that saying, Steve? Oh, uh, let's get real or let's not play. Yeah, that. yeah. It you know the ISV too, Andrea that. When when we're onboarding clients, we're talking with them. What we what I try to explain to them is, look, if you're shopping for an ISV, you got to let us know. And I said, not just for the fact, you know, because some of these are really good at marketing, right? Some of these ISVs only have one or two people, and we know which ones actually follow up and support well because we work with them a lot. Versus maybe um, they get back with you a month later, right? And so we know when we recommend an ISV, it's a signature on Anovia because we recommended it. So, all right, we're coming up on the final one. We need a drum roll, Jeff. We'll, we'll have to ask him for that. He is the uh, audio guy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the final one, it is a partnership. Um, we are here to help you. But you also need to help as well. So um, it has to be a good relationship where you trust us, we trust you, um, that we can work well together, um, and that, you know, I don't know what you don't know. 
and you probably don't know what you don't know either. And well, I'm trying, we're going to try our best to make sure that we make you happy, that we want you to succeed. We, at the end of the day, I want you to get onto BC and I want you to love it as much as that kid loves corn, right? I want you to sing songs about BC and just absolutely love it. But you know, in reality, you you have to participate in this relationship as well. It can't be one-sided where I'm I'm rooting for the best for you, but you need to root for the best for me too. <laughs> okay. Um if you're mean to me or um, you know, you're like, well, you're I'm paying you to do this, you work for me. It's probably just not gonna be a great relationship. And, you know, maybe at the end of the day. It's okay if you love it as much as you love broccoli, right? Um, but I want you to love it. I want you to succeed. I want you to be happy. And I, in a way, I want us to be friends, right? I want this you to walk away from this implementation and think, wow, she nailed it. She understood us. She got us. And I would work with her again in a heartbeat. And I want to feel that way about you too, right? And even if you're mean to me, I might still... I don't want to implement this for you, but I'm not going to love it. And that sucks, right? I don't want to love working for you. So I guess treat me as one of your own, unless you're mean to your own too. And then, you know, there should be some other conversations in your company. But, um, it, you know, a lot of people say it's family, which now they say that's toxic. Don't say that. But like for those few months that we have together, we're family, right? We're going to Olive Garden together. Um and we're going to get those breadsticks. But so let's make it cool. Let's have a great relationship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if if the relationship um, goes sour, I will just tell you from personal experience uh, that um, divorce is very expensive. And so that would be the same with a uh, with a partner breakup. We don't want any we don't want any of those. So uh, so let's all get along. That does bring up um, a, a question, though, um, in terms of the the getting to know so so obviously the way that a company enters a project and the team that that you're working with um how do you um as a partner kind of get a feel for the all the politics that you know i mean are there ways to uh, um that that um customers can sort of um I don't know, maybe open up to you in, in ways like it, when you're having the uh, when you're having the initial meetings and conversations, just how do you get a feel for like how your how this project's going to go at the beginning? You know, honestly, you can almost tell immediately from talking with people. So we do like the discovery calls and we ask a lot of questions. We typically will meet a good portion of your team. Uh, sometimes you get the juicy gossip later. Like, honestly, you know, what's better than celebrity gossip, guys, is like, why is the night shift at the gym mad at each other? Like that is that's the best kind of gossip. So anyway, I've had people do that. Customers call me and they were like, mm, let me tell you. Well, I could not say earlier on the phone. I'm like, oh, yes, please do. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think almost immediately you can tell what the success rate of somebody is just by that initial conversation with them as AC. Now, of course, I'm not going to probably tell you like I can see immediately you have uh, resistant people. You got an overbearing project manager over here that can't wrangle you to save their life. Um, so I, I normally have a good feeling. <laughs> I, uh, you, I won't you never tell get you that because I don't want you to be sad that I can tell immediately you have internal politics and this is going to go poorly. 
Steve, you only get one chance to make a first impression. So let's, uh, <laughs> well, let's take Andrea, that'll be our takeaway. Well, what what I got from this, we talked about animals and vegetables, uh, cats, I guess, and uh, but the passion just comes off. And you know, conversations, it's it's ERP, it can be difficult. And I think addressing some of the things and talking some of the things to some people is eye opening, right? I mean, because it's your we're, we're people dealing with people trying to get your system to do the best you can. But I, I, I just love your passion, the tone of what you said, right? We people here at Anovia love Nav and Business Central. I've never seen. I mean, I never seen anything like the passion for wanting to deliver you a great system you're going to be happy with, right? And some of them haven't made that adjustment coming over from a break fix type of partner. So I just think that's very cool stuff. So uh, I'm sure we could go on and on. Uh, I could see a future webinar on some of the points that you made. And so we, the, the top 10 list is, is, is complete. And I know we're rolling up on time here. Uh, once again, thank you for joining us um, on the Anovia conversation. And guys, this podcast is over. <laughs>